ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson. You say you want some revelation. Well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Hey, greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup, where Dives and Al ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. This is the week of July 24th, and if you're coming from the Great and Spacious Beehive, you know exactly what that means. It is Pioneer Day. And we have a special guest joining us, Scott from Rammy Empton Ruminations, is joining the show. We're going to discuss the leadership of the Strengthening Church Members Committee. It's finally been revealed. The only authentic Joseph Smith photo has surfaced after 180 years. So uh, then we're also going to talk about the Come Follow Me lesson. It, the church's um, uh, Sunday school manual is missing um, a female prophet called Holda. Uh, then we're going to discuss some uh, more things about the Widow's Might Report that uh, is going to tell us about the LDS charities. And uh, BYU speech program keeps accreditation even though they're not willing to help the uh, transitioning people um, go get their speech therapy and much, much more this week. Thank you for joining us, Dives and Scott. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Hey, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, wonderful. It's, uh, it's great to have you on. Um, you uh, started a podcast. What's the name of it? I'm the host of the Ramiumptum Ruminations podcast. And when did you start that? I started it just over a year ago, so I've going. I've been going for about uh, thirteen months. Oh, that's tremendous. Uh, and how has your work with the uh, Mormon Discussions, you're part of the Mormon Discussions, Inc. umbrella. How's that been? I am. I do podcast under Bill Reel's Mormon Discussions um, umbrella, and it's it's been great. It's been a great opportunity um, to work with him. He's such a, a nice guy, easy to work with behind the scenes. Uh, so uh, tell me, Scott, I'm curious about the name, uh, Ramiamptum Ruminations. Can you uh, tell us how that came about? <laughs> so I I love literature and art and alliteration is always fun and I like I like how Ramiumptum ruminations sounds together. It, it uh um I ruminate a lot. I like to think and and dissect whatever it is that I'm consuming whether that's religion or media, whatever it is. I overthink just about everything. And so the the name with the alliteration and the um, ruminations just kind of just kind of fit me well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, is this uh, what, what do people expect when they go to visit your channel, or uh, you know, what's uh, what do you hope to accomplish there? So, I typically will present a problem or a question, and I will leave it unanswered, or if I do answer it, I leave it fairly open ended. I don't like to tell people what to think. I like to just say. Hey, here's the problem. Whether you come to the table as a believer or a non-believer, here are some ways that you can uh, think about this issue within the church. And um, one of the things that I like to say or that I like to present is the fact that you know even even a believer could come to the table for some of these problems, and it doesn't have to mean that they'll lose their faith. It just means that they have to look at their faith differently. Uh, that's uh, what do you, what has been a response you've been in, in in this now for a little over a year what's been the response to Ramiumptum ruminations um i've had fairly good feedback um the majority of my episodes uh have good comments they generate good discussions with the listeners um i've 
I've honestly been been pretty happy with how people have responded to it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, this is a, it sounds like uh, your purpose is very similar to our approach to the uh, news regarding Mormonism and that we try to provide a, a place here where people can uh, discuss some of the more difficult or challenging things about Mormonism and uh, not necessarily lose their faith, but definitely look at the church differently. Yeah. Now, we're kind of new to podcasting, uh, uh, Scott. Uh, what, what advice do you have? You've been in this process. You're uh, ahead of us. Um, what, any advice for us? We're somewhat new. We've only had 17 episodes. I just say consistency. Um, one of the things that I have tried to do is make sure to release an episode every week. And that way people are more consistently reminded that you're there because they'll pop up on their feeds. Um, so just, just consistency. Keep pumping out quality content. And, and I think that's the key. Well, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I, I remember when I was scrolling through the, the name Ramiumptum Ruminations. Uh, that's a really uh, clever name for a podcast. And that really kind of made me want to um, look at it a little bit more. Um, and so I've, I've been a big fan of your podcast. I haven't listened to every episode, but I've listened to um, quite a few of them. And uh, it never fails to disappoint. So I'd like to give you a resounding endorsement for sure. Well, I appreciate uh, it, that. Anything else you want to say? Tell us about your uh, Ramiumpton Ruminations or, or your uh, personal background or your podcast before we uh, jump into our uh, uh, this podcast. Yeah, so I'm I'm I've been, I was a member of the church for thirty plus years. Deconstructed religion. Um, my wife did not join me through the deconstruction process, and so I'm in a mixed faith marriage. We have three kids, and we're raising them as best we can in this crazy new phase of life. Wow, that sounds like a big challenge. And I know you've got an article coming up uh, that you're going to be sharing with us that uh, dropped this week that discusses that too, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, tremendous. We're looking forward to it. And uh, thanks so much for being on. So let's uh, let's hop into it. Uh, first of all, we start every uh, podcast here, guys, with the Mormon joke of the week. And I uh, actually, I combine news with the Mormon joke of the week. This is advanced stuff here, guys. This is, don't, Do not try this at home. But here we have, you know, the James Webb Space Telescope. Are you guys following that? That's uh, you know, they just shot that up into space, and it, we're mm -hmm. getting like, stunning images of the Disney oh, universe. Yeah. Are you guys following that? I yeah, was waiting, waiting for it for months. I was just like <laughs> counting down the days till those images came out. Wonderful. Well, uh, you know, it's showing us incredible distant, uh, the distant universe, uh, and shows the majesty of God's heavenly creation. I mean, we're literally looking back in time through this telescope, back to the uh, Big Bang. I mean, these mind-blowing images, I mean, they make me feel so small when compared to the expansive cosmos. And the, the most amazing thing for me to think about and to contemplate when I'm looking at these incredible images is that at the same time that the world's finest scientists are bringing us breathtaking images from this amazing telescope is that God is looking right back at us, making sure that we're not masturbating. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, <I> mean, <laughs> I guess we get the courtesy laughter there. That's uh, <laughs> Scott's, Scott's saying, what did I get myself into here? No, I'm, uh, <laughs> no, I was, I was muted. So I didn't I was muted too. laugh. <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, appreciate the courtesy laughter there. I worked hard on that joke there. Okay. Uh, combining news and Mormon jokes, that's a difficult thing to do, but we, we can do the impossible on this podcast. Now, uh, follow-ups from last week. We only have one follow-up from last week, and we were talked a lot about last week, uh, Al, about uh, Zach Wilson, uh, the quarterback for the New York Jets, and how he was embroiled in a uh, in a couple of sexual uh, scandals, right? Yeah, the cougar hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that kind of like the ghost hunter? Something like that. Yeah. Oh, it, could be a, it could 
be a, uh, a the cougar whisperer. Maybe that's even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the ghost whisperer. So um, we, we talked about him quite a bit last week and we, uh, we uh, tried to get this uh, hashtag. Uh, we, we said that the reason that he was he was trending on Twitter. In fact, he cracked the top 10 on Twitter, mm-hmm. which is uh, pretty good. And we tried to get from our episode last week, we tried to get the hashtag Zach Wilson Moroni's promise to trend. Because mm-hmm. we were um, we were kind of kidding around that the reason that Zach Wilson was trending is because, you know, it's an opportunity for people to learn more about the church, Scott. So we were trying to get <laughs> Zach Wilson Moroni's promise to trend. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went I went and looked right before the show, guys. And I have to tell you that uh, we, we a little bit failed on that uh, challenge. We, we did. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Zach Wilson Moroni's promise is not trending. Yeah, I can't no. imagine why. I can't imagine why. It's just not generating enough interest in the church, I guess, as I guess much as we'd hoped. Yeah. But but take take hey we are facing a challenge with that I we were trying to get it to trend and it didn't uh, so I, I was a little discouraged and, and whenever guys I feel discouraged I always turn to the inspired scriptures so this week I came across a touching example of Joseph Smith and his capacity to move forward in the midst of adversity and that's remember Doctrine and Covenants 128 which he received on September 6 1842 and this was literally an answer to my prayers I mean Zach Wilson more and I promised that's not trending I said that it would. I'm feeling pretty discouraged. So um, I don't have the exact quote here, but l- let me read that for, uh, from memory, uh, DNC 128, 22 to 23. He said, a brethren, shall we not go on in so great a podcast? Go forward and not backward. Courage, brethren, and on. On to victory. Let your hearts rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you get to 1,000 subscribers. And that was very timely for me to read, to come across that passage. <laughs> you know, and, uh, <laughs> and also right. remind, what, what was that, Al? Poetry. (laughs) That is poet. That's po. That is poetry. Mm -hmm. That is poetry in motion, right there. It really is for our day. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's right. And Mm -hmm. also reminds me of that famous Joseph Smith prophecy. uh, Now that I'm just paraphrasing here as well, but I used to repeat this as a missionary every single district and zone conference meeting. We used to repeat this, but it's been a while, so I feel like. Uh, so feel free to chime in if I don't get this quote by quite right. But I remember this back as a missionary, and it said. we used to repeat this in unison. It said, no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. Persecutions may rage, mobs may combine, armies may assemble, calumny may defame, but this podcast will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent till it has penetrated every continent, visited every clime, swept every country, and sounded in every ear till DVs and Zal say the recording is done. I don't know if I got yeah. that quite right or not. Eh, close. That's close? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty been close. a couple of years. Yeah, creative license might have been taken, but that's oh, now it said uh, independent, but this podcast, I guess, we're not really independent because we have a sponsor, a signature book. So I guess this podcast is going to go forth boldly, nobly, and semi-independent. Yeah, that that was the only thing that hung me up. Oh, yeah, it sounded like it was word for word. Well, that's still pretty accurate uh, prophecy, then, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, that's all the follow-ups I can think of from last week. Do you have anything else that we need to go over from last week, Al? I don't think so. I think we're ready to jump right into it, and it, it we're going to really jump right into it. This is uh, some of the biggest news um, and some pretty controversial news that uh, we've got this week is uh, a, a little locket has been uh, uh, found amongst the some of the collections of the descendants of Joseph Smith. And um, we, uh, we've read about this in the Salt Lake Tribune. Peggy Fletcher Stack uh, reported on it that uh, one of the descendants of Joseph Smith, and for heaven's sakes, I can never remember this guy's name, but it's not Smith. Lachlan McKay. <laughs> That's the guy, McKay. Yep. 
he, uh, you know, he has the same last name as one of our other prophets, so yeah, it's not so bad. Uh, title of the article is "At Long Last: A Photo of Mormon Founder Joseph Smith Emerges," and it seems like people are kind of jumping right on top of this. Is yeah, this is the real deal. This is really authentic. There are a couple of reasons why they're jumping on this one. I mean, there's been other uh, photos of uh, surfaced throughout the years. Uh, one was a, a United States senator that people thought you know looked a lot like Joseph Smith, and so they thought, oh, maybe that's him. Um, turned out to be a senator, not Joseph Smith. Uh, there was an, another one about a young man uh, with dark hair, and uh, let's see, he had uh, some sort of like a, a talisman or something, some sort of trinket hanging like a, a watch from his uh, vest, but uh, that one was never verified. Uh, this one, well, as far as we know, I mean, they've got theories, well, maybe this wasn't actually Joseph Smith himself, maybe this is Hiram Smith, or you know, another one of the Smith boys, they had a whole lot of them, right? There's Don Carlos, there's William, there's Samuel, all, you know, a whole lot of them. So, you know, they thought maybe this is somebody else, but uh, the, we start looking at, it, okay, if you look at this picture, this daguerreotype, next to the different paintings of Joseph Smith, and keeping in mind that the uh, artist renderings are going to be just an artist's interpretation, of what they're seeing, and they're going to try to put enough details in there to make him recognizable. Well, if you look at like the lines in his face, like the shape of his brow, uh, and you know, just look at some of the features, you start to see that actually this this could really be it. And so I think that's uh, another reason why a lot of people are jumping on top of it. The LDS Church, well, it seems like they learned their lesson from Mark Hoffman and the Salamander Letters. So. Uh, yeah, they're holding back, saying, well, we want to make sure that this is really authentic before we make any statement. Yeah, I mean, it's pre it seems pretty cool, as long as Mark Hoffman wasn't involved. That's Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, now, I just want to talk about this. I want to get Scott to uh, hear your thoughts in a sec. The only I think the only way to con actually confirm this photo is the one that no one's talking about. I think there's a very simple way to confirm the photo, and that's that prophets of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints they're always talking about visitations from heavenly messengers that the, mm -hmm. the the veil is thin but these are too sacred to talk about we've had many many past prophets everyone from uh, elijah to elias uh, don't ask me who elias is i, I don't want to get into that to uh, john the baptist to peter james and john to uh remember uh the the founding fathers of build wood wilford woodruff uh mm -hmm. joseph f smith had the view of the celestial kingdom we've had so many past prophets come to visit the current leadership of the church we have mm -hmm. uh, Jesus Christ visiting Lorenzo Snow in the uh, temple in 1894. Uh, mm -hmm. We've had so many past messages. Shouldn't these general authorities, I just want to say, they should know what Joseph Smith looks like from all of these angelic visitations. They should be able to either confirm or deny it. That's 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 what no one's talking mm -hmm. about. That's what I see, at least. Yeah. Um, it's got a uh, passing resemblance, uh, this picture, to... Uh, maybe Warren Jeff, so that's that's another check in the right direction. Uh oh, well, <laughs> I hope not. Uh, Scott, is this an authentic photo? Uh, Scott, what what are your thoughts about this? You know, I'm I'm not skilled enough to authenticate photos, but what I would say is is the portraits of Joseph Smith from his life. It wasn't like we had Pablo Picasso doing his abstract portraits. I mean, these were mm -hmm. people trying to capture the likeness of Joseph Smith when they were painting, and this photo. Mm -hmm looks like those portraits that were painted of him from that time. So mm -hmm. it very well could be authentic. 
at the least, it's a, a photo of somebody related to Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think I, I watched actually two full podcasts on this. I watched Lachlan McKay and his interview on this on Mormon Book Reviews. And then I also watched mm-hmm. the Midnight Mormons and they spent an hour on it. I think what, what does it for me is you, if you compare the 1842 oil painting of Joseph Smith by David Rogers with the daguerreotype, you'll mm-hmm. notice a couple of things that are in common. Number one, he has a, a distinctive frown wrinkle in between his brow that's kind of on his left hand side by his eye. That's common in both of the painting and the daguerreotype. Also, his True. right his right uh, lip, where, where his mouth, where his two lips combine the right side, mm-hmm. it tends to bend down a little bit. That's also accurate in the oil and the daguerreotype. And his hair, his left ear is more covered than his is right that's common mm-hmm. in both of them now yeah. what lachlan mckay in his uh, po- uh, podcast that i watched he said that they had they compared this with the death mask because remember we know that the death mask is of joseph smith we know that one yeah. for sure mm-hmm. for so sure. they had uh, forensics take the death mask compared to the daguerreotype and they said that according to the people that they hired that there's an 85 percent confidence ratio that whoever's death mask that is matched with the daguerreotype so it seems wow. like there's uh, quite a bit of uh science behind uh, confirming this, but I do want to say something else. Look, Lachlan McKay, uh, he's a, an apostle in the uh, community of Christ. He wants this to be authentic. And this is also mm-hmm. something no one else is talking about. I didn't hear this in any other podcast. Why does he really want this to be authentic? It's because it's worth a lot of money. Remember the printer's press that we just, uh, the, the Book of Mormon printer's manuscript. We just mm-hmm. bought that from the RLDS church about six months ago, and we paid a cool $35 million for it. If this turns out to be an accurate portrait, the LDS church is going to want to buy it and put it in stock, and they're going to be willing to pay big bucks for it. So, of course, the guy who found it, Lachlan McKay, is want to say that it's verified because this is worth big money. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Um, this is, I mean, can you imagine the one uh, and only, uh, or at least the first uh, picture that has been uh, you know, verified of Joseph Smith. I mean, they were hoping when they uh, opened up the capstone of the Salt Lake Temple that they'd find a photograph of Joseph Smith that was rumored to, to be around, but it wasn't there. And so, you know, this is, this is a big deal to all of Mormonism. Yeah, it sure is. Um, I do want to discuss a couple of other things. And this is a, a, yeah. somebody was talking about whether Joseph Smith was handsome or not. And somebody said, well, um, he's a 10, but he tips the waiters with uh, Kirtland Safety Society notes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's you know, that's, <laughs> that's not too good. Um, but some other people are saying that my jokes, nobody nobody goes for my jokes around here, but that's okay. <laughs> um, he's, I, chuckled, uh, no, I chuckled. Some other people said that he's ugly. And that to me, may, I don't know, maybe he is because this – but when I got this photo now, this explains to me why – the angels with the drawn sword were needed to enforce polygamy is because mm-hmm. he's kind of ugly. If he was, had, if he looked like Brad Pitt, if he looked like Zac Efron or Brad, Brad Pitt, you wouldn't need the angel with the drawn sword because the chicks mm-hmm. would dig him. Okay, that's I know true. I'm making a little bit light of this, but I mm-hmm. think this is all lining up. That's all I. That, that's what I'm yeah. trying to tell you. Well, I, I am of the the latter um, persuasion. I'm thinking that this is not a very attractive man, but then again, I'm you know heterosexual uh male i don't you know i don't know i'm not the best person to ask (laughs) it's a different time period yep for sure yeah and they also notice that people in these older time frames they look a lot older you know uh 38 years old which is approximately the time frame of this daguerreotype he looks older Mm -hmm. the the daguerreotype looks older than a modern day 38 year old because people back then had frontier living you know they joseph smith Mm -hmm. he uh he, he drank whiskey he, mm-hmm. uh, you know, chewing tobacco, 
Um, mm-hmm. You drink coffee and tea, and as we know, the word of wisdom. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, so he he does look older, and I, I also want to say that in general, church artwork, uh, official church artwork, emphasizes a very young-looking Joseph Smith. Yeah. Why does it? Why does it want to emphasize the young-looking Joseph Smith? Well, it's because a Book mm-hmm. of Abraham translation, a Book of Mormon translation, those are all the more miraculous when it's mm-hmm. a very young-looking person. And also, the church yeah. wants to emphasize a young Joseph Smith because of polygamy. The mm-hmm. older he looks in the artwork, the more creepy it is that he's marrying younger girls. Yeah, and this this is definitely got a creepy vibe to it. This uh, daguerreotype. <laughs> he, he looks like a creeper. Well, I mean, the, if it's... the style of photos back then, people didn't generally smile. You just sat mm-hmm. there and waited as as the photo was taken. And yeah, so over the of what, like three minutes? I think. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was a different process, and smiling mm-hmm. in photos was not common in that time period. So yeah, I mean, the grumpy look is 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 what you would get if you look at other photos from that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to hold a smile for three minutes in a row. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But people have run the photo now through filters, so you can see Joseph Smith with a beard. You can see him smiling. You can see all kinds of stuff. It's very amusing what mm-hmm. people have done with this. Uh, yeah. I, I can say if it's legitimate, he has the clear and penetrating eyes that I would expect from someone who did more for the salvation of men on earth than anyone save Jesus Christ alone. That much I can say <laughs> of a certain <laughs> Now, the church has responded. The church did uh, two days ago. They gave an official response. Uh, mm-hmm. Al, what was their uh, uh, response, their uh, official response? Uh, their, their official response is that they've decided to wait and hold off judgment until um, more uh, authentication comes forward and they can be certain that this is Joseph Smith. You know, So they're waiting for the science to catch up with it and verify it. Seems logical. Now mm-hmm. I saw uh, online that the church, uh, the church's uh, art department, they mm-hmm. um, they have no problem with this image whatsoever because all of the church artwork has Joseph Smith with his face in a hat, so they're mm-hmm. not going to need to redo any of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh wait a minute! No, they. Do. Oh wait a minute! Oh, actually, uh, wait. yeah, they're going to have to redo all of it. Oh wait a minute! Okay, no, the yeah. church art department does not have his face in a hat. I guess that. Never mind. Uh, I got yeah. my wires crossed on that one. Uh, <laughs> I am curious to see, uh, though, how the church will adopt this or how we'll treat this daguerreotype uh, going forward. Is this going to, you know, be kind of like a, a kinderhook point situation? They're just going to sweep that one under the rug. Like, oh, yeah, there, there is a, a picture that exists, but it doesn't really capture the spirit of Joseph Smith the way our uh, paintings do. Yeah, if you want the full, complete information for this daguerreotype, you really have to go to the John Whitmer Historical Association, their website, and to actually read the article, the official article that goes with this that was published by the John Whitmer Historical Association, mm-hmm. you have to pay $15 for that PDF, guys. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, there is money to be had in finding old daguerreotypes of uh, famous people. Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That definitely um, is. Yeah, the, the the other thing that I found interesting is in this article, and anybody that goes to the show notes can get to the Salt Lake Tribune article, they do uh, have a picture of Joseph Smith III, which is uh, Joseph Smith's son. But if you look at he's he's got a beard and he's got very dark features. He uh, has much more of Emma Smith's uh, genes coming out in him than his dad's. So it's, you know, one of those where it's, you look at the son and you're like, eh, I, I, it, it's really difficult to, to say whether or not this is a picture of a guy that looks like his dad by comparing the two pictures. 
Yeah, that's interesting, Al, that you mentioned the Kinderhook plates because the church ran forensics on the Kinderhook plates when we finally got the Kinderhook plates. And the initial uh -huh. forensics on the Kinderhook plates was that they were legitimate, and that was published mm -hmm. in the Enzyme. Mm -hmm. It was only until later when they did the acid test, uh, the more detailed forensics, mm -hmm. that the Kinderhook plate was proved to be a, a forgery. So if you look at the Community of Christ, I watched Lachlan McKay's uh, discussion about this for an hour. Mm -hmm. They hired a firm to do forensics on the death mask and the daguerreotype, and they said that the, the, the time frame of the daguerreotype is mm -hmm. consistent with 1840 and that all the features mm -hmm. are also consistent. So just because we have one set of forensics that says that it's legitimate, that's probably not going to be enough. We need independent yeah. forensics people to go in there mm -hmm. who are not trying to uh, sell this at a profit. I mean, so there's still a lot of work left to be done here. When you yeah, see the, that the church mm -hmm. is learning its lessons from mistakes mm -hmm. of the past where they mm -hmm. have previously accepted things at face value, the Kinderhook plates and, and you know, other instances, the um, salamander letter and all that stuff. Um, where they're taking their time, they're being more cautious with this. And so good on them for for trying to be careful. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the church is learning and growing, um, you know, much the way a, a toddler does. <laughs> yeah. uh, a toddler who has control of $250 billion. This is a, a yeah, exactly. I mean, the church <laughs> has essentially uh, put its hand on the hot stove enough times at this point to understand, yeah, maybe we shouldn't touch the hot stove. Uh, speaking of $250 billion, that takes us to our next article. And this is the uh, Widow's White Report. These guys are always they have great uh, content. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here. But they dropped the LDS Charities Summary and Analysis Report of Charitable Giving. So uh, it started that if you go to the show, this is linked into our show notes. If you look at the full complete report here, it talks about how the church uh, giving histor historically been members giving extra money. Uh, that a $1 donation from a church member, the church consolidates that into $1. And then uh, another dollar is given out that the church has very little overhead. And they call that humanitarian aid. Now, fast offerings and farm output, those are called church welfare. But LDS Charities, that gives to other charity partners, and that's called humanitarian aid. So there's two types of money. When you give money to the church, there's two ways that they output it. One is church welfare, and that's faith-dependent. That really only basically goes to members. There's a few non-members, but basically members, whereas LDS Charities gives to humanitarian uh, in general. So the guiding principles of the LDS Charities, it's a principle guide uh, for their humanitarian donations. They have three principles, care for those in greatest need, promote volunteerism, and inspire self-reliance. That's the guiding principles. Now, LDS Charities has basically 10 initiatives that they focus on. Food security, clean water, international community, emergency response, immunization, maternal and newborn care, refugee response, vision care, wheelchairs, and U.S. and Canada community. And they have several partners who they partner with for that uh, for that for the LDS charities. Now, what's interesting is when you think about uh, the key financial disclosures of their partners, the partners is like UNICEF, Water Aid, American Red Cross, Lutheran Services of America, Catholic Charities USA, a bunch of other organizations. All of the organizations that the LDS Charities partners with, all of them have full disclosure of donations, grants, income, service expenses, admin fundraising costs, capital reserves, total assets, total liabilities, all of them have complete disclosure of all their finances, except for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We're the only ones who don't, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, which is um, very troubling, I would say. The uh, report also talks about how the data is very difficult to understand in these reports that come from the humanitarian reports. But it appears that according to the 2020 LDS Charities Annual Report, from 
1985 until today, LDS Charities has given away about $2.5 billion. Okay, that's in about 30-year time frame. If you divide that up, that's around $80 million per year. That is what the church is averaging. You can compare that with what Elder Oak said in 2016. He said it was around $40 million a year. So the right number is probably somewhere in that ballpark of, say, $50 to $100 million per year. If you look at all of the different metrics that the church, uh, this is all from the article in the show notes. If you look at the different metrics disclosed in the annual report, this year's report disclosed metrics that previous years had not disclosed. For instance, this year they talked about the number of church farms and canneries disclosed for the first time, welfare and service reliance missionaries, counseling sessions, perpetual education loans, students receiving textbooks, addiction recovery meetings, and units of blood donated. That has not been tracked over time. So if you look at all of the different humanitarian reports that the church has released regarding the charities, sometimes they disclose certain metrics, sometimes they don't. It's just Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It's kind of hit and miss. So you can't necessarily compare these against um, historical averages. The church from 2016 has been involved with uh, charitable projects. Starting in 2016, they had about 2,500 projects. Up until today, they're pushing almost 4,000. And the country is receiving aid back in 2013. It was around 125. Now it's almost up to 200. And the total number of charity partners that the church partners with has gone from 1,500 until 2,000. So all of those metrics are increasing, but it appears that the member giving of money and time has peaked. And this is according to the report. The peak amount of giving for members, non-members and everything was around 2018, uh, 2017, 2018. Since that time, charitable donations to the LDS uh, charities has decreased and that coincides with the pandemic. So it's not increasing at an exponential or even a linear rate. It is somewhat regressing. Also from this report, I know I'm doing a lot of talking, but I want to get through this report and then I want to get you guys' reaction. Now, in Australia and in Canada, LDS Charities has to disclose their monies that they pay. So we can get a peek behind the mirror for those uh, for LDS Charities and what they do in Australia and Canada. And this report brings up that there's a number of inconsistencies and questions that can be raised based upon the public information that we have that could possibly be extrapolated to the church uh, at a, at a uh, in a larger capacity. We also talked about how in previous podcasts, until 2020, LDS Charities published its annual report covering only external humanitarian efforts, meaning that they did not include the fast offerings as part of the donations. But starting in 2021, that's where the fast offering was increased, uh, was included. And that's why the numbers went up dramatically in the last years, because they included fast offerings. Uh, now, most of the $906 million that the church uh, raised went to church internal welfare programs. In other words, out of all the money that the church gets every year, 90, about 90% of it goes to internal church welfare. That's, uh, uh, you know, uh, bishop storehouses. And when you go to the bishop, if you can't make your rent and the, and, the, and the bishop gives you a check, that's internal church welfare that is generally dependent upon you being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Only a small percentage of it, about $80 million, is, goes to LDS charities. And that's external humanitarian aid, which is given without regard to re religious affiliation. Um, so when you donate to the Red Cross, usually you get an honest and clear impact statement, meaning I donated $10 to the Red Cross. My donation fed one displaced person for three days. But of course, with the church's uh, statements, you don't know what your impact was of the dollar donation. You don't know what it went for. You don't know who benefited from it. You don't know anything about it. And, and that's all obviously very troubling. There's also... Um, some interesting claims that are made in the humanitarian report. For instance, in the 2020 report, 
LDS Charities said that it helped 8 million people get vaccines. But what does that mean? If you help someone get a vaccine, does that mean that you gave them the vaccine? Or does that mean you facilitated or advertised? It's very confusing. Normally, the other charities, when they say that they did 2 million vaccines, that means that they actually injected 2 million people with vaccines. The LDS Charities is saying, we're helping 8 million people get vaccines. So the statements are very muddled and somewhat confusing. Also, in 2016, I know I'm talking a lot here, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you guys' feedback here in a second. In 2016, Dallin Oach said that the church volunteered about 25 million hours per year. But in 2021, the annual report says that the church volunteers 7 million hours per year. So did it really drop by a factor of three? Uh, it's the, the reports in themselves are somewhat confusing. That's that's now I just want to wrap it up here. I'm going to get you guys in on this. If you look at the estimated uses of available cash, and this is on slide number 20. If you only look at this show link, go to slide 20 and 21 because this is the big sum up. Enzyme Peak has $180 billion in invested cash. $16 billion, uh, Enzyme Peak generates about $16 billion per year. That's about an 8% rate of return. The church brings in a billion dollars in surplus tithing every year and about $725 million in fast offerings. If you look at all of those circles and then you compare it to the only 60 to 75 million that the LDS Charities gives and uh, gives to charities, it's very, very small. And the widow's mite is, is, is saying that the overhead expenses for the church to administer LDS Charities is about five to $10 million per year. So your basic sum up here is slide 21. This is the money slide. The, the charitable expenses for the top American charities, the biggest charity in the United States is Lutheran Services in America. They do about $18 billion per year. Then United Way, about $4 billion, Catholic Charities, $3 billion, and it goes down from there. If you put LDS Charities in there and you don't include the member-to-member pass-throughs, you're talking about around $100 million. It is a fraction. It is 180 times smaller than Lutheran Services in America. But as this... Uh, as this particular PowerPoint discusses, the church could do $18 billion worth of charitable giving every year and not touch Enzyme Peak whatsoever. It could be right away the number two biggest charitable organization in the United States without depleting any resources whatsoever. Okay, that was a big rant. Uh, Scott, what, what did you, were you able to look at this and what were, did you have any takeaways from this report? I, my biggest critique, and, and as I said at the outset, I tend to try and be a bit softer with my approach when talking about the, the church, but one of the places where I don't know that there's really any way to redeem their behaviors is how they handle uh, charitable contributions, tithing, etc. This is This is one of the glaring red flags for the way that the church is run. Um, it's it's irredeemable, honestly, for a church that professes to be directly managed by Jesus Christ. One would expect it to give more percentage of its total assets annually. Yeah, seventeen billion dollars. If the church is worth, according to the widows, my two hundred and fifty billion, they're saying that the church could easily do about eighteen billion per year. That's not even ten percent. They said that they could do about eight percent of their total net worth every year, and that it would not uh, decrease their principal or their nest egg in general. So out of a, they're only doing a hundred million out of two hundred and fifty billion. That's not one percent. That's not even a half a percent. That's about a third of a percent of your total net worth. 
to but say that that is disappointing is an understatement. The hard thing for me to swallow is there are countless scriptures where Jesus is quoted as saying, give everything that you own and follow me. Or And you could pair those with, with all of the other sayings of him talking about feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. Money didn't seem to matter to Jesus when he was preaching. And so saying, you know, they could give X, Y, Z and not affect their total capital. It's silly. Like if we look at the teachings of Christ and we look at how he was trying to encourage his people, they should give money irregardless of how it would affect their stock portfolio. He's, he's God. Wouldn't he be able to give them more money if they need it? Like they should just give it all and make this world a better place. Oh, now we're starting to sound like we're on the other side of the, um, the bishop's tithing settlement uh, uh, table there. Um, Cause yeah, the, we, we hear it time and time again. Oh, well, you, you got to give more, you know, if you give, uh, if you give more, the Lord will bless you even more. If you want uh, net blessings, you'll then give net tithing. If you want gross blessings, give gross tithing. Uh, okay. LDS church. Um, you know, look at you this time. It's your turn. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to maintain your membership, perhaps consider giving more of your money to make the world a better place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, let, I mean let remember people Jesus, see that. Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin, yet the Father in heaven uh, provides for them. right? And, and, and Jesus himself said, the Son of Man hath not a place to rest his head. He, he didn't own a home. He, he, he just, you know, he did what he was, he, he did what he could for the people around him at the time. And he trusted that God would provide for him for the future. So it's just, it, it's, it's just a little disappointing to see these numbers laid out so clearly. And we have an estimate that instantly today, the church could be the number one provider of a uh, humanitarian efforts in the United States without messing with Enzyme Peak whatsoever right now, but yeah. they won't do it. And, you know, how much more could they go if they were to extend themselves a little bit further? Yeah. You know, yeah. To, to give a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they, they could cure a lot of problems. Yeah. It's they within sure their could. power. Yeah, they sure could. And that's why I said, I just wish that they would use the powers that they have, which is just an extraordinary gift. They, the, all of the sacrifice of all of these members, all of the tithing, all the people who died for the church and left their estates to the church instead of giving it to their offspring, they left it to the church. All of those donors to BYU who are um, continue to prop it up and provide scholarships so that the church doesn't have to reach into as many resources to pay for BYU. All of the sacrifices of the pioneers. Today is Pioneer Day. Those guys walked across the plains, and those were my ancestors specifically on my father's side. What would they say that they walked across the plains for to see the church sitting on this nest egg? I think that they would be. Um, I think they would be very surprised. Yeah. How, how many gave all? Yeah. You know, how, how many did they leave behind, buried in unmarked graves along the wayside, yeah. uh, beside the trail? Yeah. Yeah. And how many people today are also, uh, even in the United States, uh, are dying from hunger, are dying from not having housing, are, are, are dying from not having, I don't know, proper access to medical care when the church could be providing much, much more to alleviate the suffering of the humans on this planet and to take care of uh, the, the, you know, you're supposed to leave the, the 99 to, to visit the one. But if you're only spending one third of 1% of your resources, how many of those lost sheep are, are going and are never going to be found and are, are falling away and are just lost? 
Exactly. Uh, you know, from where I'm sitting here in uh, the great and spacious beehive, um, it appears that M. Russell Ballard has still not gone into the temple to pray for rain yet. Yeah. Been a very uh, dry week. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little depressing for me to uh, review this article, but um, I, I challenge our listeners, you know, what do you think about the LDS, uh, LDS charities? Do you think they should be com- um, contributing more? Am I being too hard on the church? What am I missing here? Send us an email to collab at mormonnewsroundup.org or come to our website, www mormonnewsroundup.org. Let us know your thoughts on what the LDS charities uh, should be doing with their incredibly vast resources. Now, our next article here is uh, going to be a lot quicker. And this is a, a leak uh, from the uh, from Bill Real of Mormon Discussions. He leaked, someone leaked to him, the membership and committee assignments of certain general authorities. And I believe for the first time now, we know who is uh, the, on the Strengthening Church Members Committee. And the members of the Strengthening Church Members Committee are Kevin W. Pearson, Shane M. Bowen, and Mark A. Bratt. Um, now, the Strengthening members, Church Members Committee is a somewhat controversial committee. Um, it was formed by uh, Ezra Taft Benson back in 1985. And basically, according to uh, Dallin H. Oaks, he said that it was a clipping service. Uh, I'm trying to find the exact quote here. Um, it was a clipping service um, Sorry, I don't have oh clipping service that monitors speeches, writings, and activities of those suspected of apostasy and passes on the material to church officials. And this was uh, written in a book by Brinkley and Rogers. So um, several excommunicated members have said that their bishops had large dossiers on them um, that they didn't think that bishops they, they themselves compiled, and that most likely those came from the Strengthening Church Members Committee. The idea behind this committee. From my understanding, I know that we don't know all the ins and outs of this committee, but let's say that you're a rural Idaho bishop who just is a farmer and is not very sophisticated, and one of your members has a a controversial podcast or uh, printing books or materials that are critical or even uh, totally uh, anti-Mormon or not showing the church in a flattering light. Well, you probably would never come across those materials, and the church set up the Strengthening Church Members Committee it was originally conceived to stop polygamy, but it evolved from there to uh, basically, I don't know how to say this any better, but basically to be the big brother and make sure that any uh, apostates or dissidents, um, that information is passed on to their bishop. How do you feel about the uh, Strengthening Church Committee members uh, leak there? Uh, let's start with Scott. I I think more transparency is needed within the church, and, and that sort of thing won't happen without external pressure. Yeah, well said. Um, I think that's exactly right. Is that uh, this uh, uh, the whole idea of the strengthening church members committee? It it, it seems a little nineteen eighty four or Orson Welles ish. You know, it's a it's a little creepy. Um, to but I mean they're out there. They're certainly doing their their thing. This is a private organization. It's uh, you know it has the right to police itself however it sees fit, and uh, it doesn't. Uh, you know, necessarily hold anybody inside the organization against their will. So, you know, people, they can come and go as they please. But uh, even so, it's, a, it's a, uh, I don't know, I, it's an organization that I certainly, you know, don't. And, and here's what's real funny is that even though I don't want them, you know, looking over my shoulder and uh, criticizing what I do, they do. I'm sure that uh, the Strengthening Members Committee is very much aware of this podcast and uh, and uh, who we are and what we're doing, what we're saying. So, you know, and that's one reason that I use a pseudonym for this podcast is specifically because I don't want to have to have interactions with the Strengthening Church Members Committee. 
Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. Elder, Holl- Elder Holland back in 2012 had the interview with the BBC where he admitted that the Strengthening Church Members Committee exists, and that included uh, the church official st- church spokesman at the time who inclu- admitted that it exists. There's a Wikipedia article on that that includes quite a few uh, 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 books, articles, and interviews that talks about this committee. Um, so, that, I mean... I, uh, I welcome uh, them to chat with me. Reach out anytime, and I would love to have a conversation. On or off the record. Fair enough. Well said, Scott. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good sentiment as well. Um, let, let's move along. Uh, unless anybody has anything else, Al, you've got the next article. All right. Um, I got so wrapped up in here, I forgot where we were. Let me find my... There we it's are. A okay. pioneer, well, it's a Pioneer Day miracle, Al. It is. The Pioneer Day miracle has come. Uh-huh. We've had all, uh, all of the Utah's LDS... Uh, well, yeah, there's four of them. All four of uh, Utah's LDS congressmen have supported same-sex marriage on the floor of Congress. They all voted to protect uh, same-sex marriage and to go away from the um, proclamation on the family, which was uh, the original document that was written up to um, to, to declare that uh, marriage ought to be only between a uh, man and a woman to you know two people of the opposite. Uh, sexes, but that uh, has been changed, and they have decided to go and uh, um, con- Congress overwhelmingly voted to to keep it, including the LDS uh, congressmen and representatives. So um, it's uh, you know it's interesting to see them take this stance um, compared to where the church's current teachings are, because uh, the LDS Church still maintains that. It's uh, that marriage ought to be only between man and a woman. So for them to uh, to break lines with the church and uh, go forward with what is, shall we say, more uh, socially popular, uh, yeah, that this is a pretty significant uh, moment. Uh, and and how how do you think the church is going to feel about these guys um, that have broken? their uh party party lines with the church i mean not necessarily party well i guess that you know they're all republicans too so probably breaking party lines with republicans i know that everybody that voted uh against um marriage equality was a republican that all the democrats voted for um same-sex marriage yeah i mean so there's like 440 (laughs) congressmen only 47 of them dissented and they just so happened to be the four the four mormons Mm -hmm. who represent utah they all dissented. I mean, the reason that this mm-hmm. bill came up was because uh, we had the Roe versus Way overthrow uh, being overthrown, and maybe the Supreme Court will also come after same-sex marriage. So, I mean, that was the idea behind the bill. But I find it to be very remarkable that um, you know that all the LDS people seem to be voting against what the church teaches. Am I getting that mm-hmm. right, or am I reading this wrong? It sure seems to be what the article's saying. And this, uh, once again, sorry, this comes from thehill.com, um, where uh, these uh, are, are the 47 House Republicans who voted for a bill protecting marriage equality? Uh, so th- this is basically a piece that was written to say, "Hey, this is these are the people who are voting against sexual equality or uh, sex marriage equality amongst uh, homosexuals." So they, uh, yeah, uh, this piece is uh, basically just an expository piece, and hey, just so you people know uh, that uh, that vote, these are the the representatives that. Uh, voted this certain way so when election time comes around you you make your choice what you want to do 
Scott, did these guys not read their family proclamation? <laughs> I think so. I look at this and I see it as a good thing. And for two reasons, I think that on one hand, I think it's great whether or not they hold these values that they voted for or against. I think it's great that they can recognize that maybe their constituents hold a different value than they do, and they're okay representing their constituents even when it disagrees with their beliefs. And I think that's commendable. On the other hand, perhaps they are okay with marriage equality, and perhaps this is a shift in the culture where they feel okay having a different idea about marriage equality than the church presents. And so I guess the way I look at it, it's it's a good thing. But don't most Latter-day Saints approve of marriage equality? And that's just it. I, I think most of them do. And I think this is a sign okay. that I think this is a sign that within the culture, more and more people within Mormon communities are okay with marriage equality and and they don't have a problem with it. Well, I can't, you know, it takes me back to the time of the uh, Equal Rights uh, Amendment, which was trying to be pushed through in Utah in 1978. And the church came out and told people how to vote on that. In fact, um, you know, the, the, Utah was instrumental in the defeat of the Equal Rights Amendment. And it seems like we've taken a big step back from when the church used to tell people how to vote. Now they are telling people how to vote, but those people, they don't care. Is the church losing influence? I mean, the church used to be very influential. You know, think about Proclamation, uh, excuse me, uh, Proposition 8 in California. They mm -hmm. really helped defeat that thing. They helped defeat the ERA. They've done a lot of things. Uh, is their influence waning? They can't even control their own LDS congressman in their own state uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to have proper or, or what the church would consider to be proper voting on same-sex marriage. Um, I, I, I'd be very curious to see uh, if there's some conversations are uh, being had over the phone between congressmen and uh, the church office building and, and see, you know, if they're getting guidance or um, if they're getting some sort of instruction to, to do this. I know that the church is really trying to rebrand itself, um, appear more mainstream uh, Christianity, uh, trying to soften its uh, hard nosed image and, uh, Maybe this is one of their ways of doing that. I, I don't know. I mean, this is that's these are things that I could posit as a theory, but it really comes kind of kooky conspiracy at the when I start talking about oh well, this is a phone call that's happening behind closed doors and off the record between the church office building, right? Well, if you think, Al, that's that's an interesting point. If you think back to the Mormon leaks, which turned into the truth transparency, which is now basically defunct. They went out of business about a year ago. Mm -hmm. One of those Mormon leaks videos, most of them were real snoozers. I mean, yeah. if you watch the Mormon leak videos, they were like, this is a leak. This isn't this is nothing. But one mm -hmm. of the leaks talked about how the general authority said, hey, we need to call Senator so-and-so or we need mm -hmm. to call former congressman so-and-so so that yeah. they can influence this particular bill. So we know that church leaders do call these individuals. Also, on the same vein, when the Washington, D.C. temple was being reopened recently, the church brought out a lot of apostles to walk through the high-profile people. But do you know who else they brought out? They brought out former senators, former congressmen, high-ranking church individuals who mm -hmm. had uh, high-ranking government positions, either currently or formerly, to take people through the temple. Why? So the church has no problem calling in favors and saying, we have it on record, of saying, we want you to do certain things and bring forth certain bills. We know well, yeah. that happens. They have mm -hmm. lobbyists pushing their agenda. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's something that we are aware of. So this is, I mean, that's nothing new. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, the church, especially the lobbyists for the LGBTQ, especially for the fairness for all legislation, which is what the church really wants on the national stage for LGBTQ. They, they do have mm -hmm. lobbyists in those things. So um, all I can say is, you know, forget what would Jesus do? What would Dallin Oaks do? How would he vote? You know, shouldn't we just take when a bill comes forward, when it's time to vote, should we just ask ourselves, what would Dallin H. Oaks do and then vote accordingly? Or is that oh. just too uh, am I being myopic? We, we live in a very different society if that was the case. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think we really would live in a different place. <laughs> okay. Uh, now we've got a, we've got three more articles left to go through here. Uh, four more articles. Scott, uh, one thing that we haven't covered very much in this podcast, we've been around for 17 episodes, is that we really haven't followed uh, – uh, we don't really follow the come follow me lessons because we don't necessarily think that they're necessarily newsworthy. Uh, but that is a big deal in the church, isn't it? Oh yeah. It, it, uh, is a, a new program and it, you know, came out and kind of transitioned the way that, uh, discourse around the Sunday school lessons happened. And it, um, I mean, honestly, I think it's a, a good program, a step in, in a good direction to, to facilitate better discussions. The old manuals were, um, when a teacher stuck to the old manuals, it did not promote or facilitate a great discussion in the class. And so I think, I think these new manuals are great, but the, the article that we're going to talk about today comes from the exponent and it, um, the title is where's Hilda missing female profit income. Follow me. Uh, now the, the section that come follow me, covered in, in this particular portion was second Kings 17 through 25. And there is a prominent female prophet in that section named Hilda. And she's actually super fascinating. Um, in the rabbinic literature specifically in the Nevi'im, which is like the prophets section of scripture, there are only two like principal female prophetesses and that's Hilda and Deborah. But Hilda is not present in the Come Follow Me um, manual during this section of scripture. Now, <clears throat> she played an important role in, um, in the development of the scripture that we have today, at least according to the stories that are told. Um, King Josiah, he ordered the temple to be renovated. And during the Temple of Solomon, when it's being renovated, they find a new book of scripture buried within the walls of the temple, thought to be the book of Deuteronomy and Kings and even possibly parts of Jeremiah. There's debate on this. Anyway, so King Josiah, his followers, they find this new book of scripture and they want to find out if it's legitimate or not. And who do they go to? But Hilda. They go to Hilda and they say, hey, Hilda, you're a prophet. Can you ask God if this new book of scripture is actually scripture? And she wow. verifies it. And she says, yes, this comes from God. And now there are other stories from Hilda. Hilda is awesome. She's a really cool female prophet in the Old Testament. And, and it's really sad, but there's zero mention of her. Now, I, well, that's sad. I think that... So many churches, regardless of what denomination they are, they're going to pick and choose which which stories to focus on because it pushes forward their narrative or their worldview better Not than sure. a different one. 
And so in my mind, I look at this and say, and I think, okay, what, what's the obvious reason why they're not going to talk about a female prophet? Oh, because women don't have the priesthood. And so it's in my head, I'm, it, that's, that's the easiest explanation that I could come to. I'm not saying that's, that's their motive, but that's what I would immediate, the conclusion that I would immediately jump to. Me too. <laughs> Yeah, what's interesting for me in the article is not only is she missing from the Come Follow Me lesson, but there's also official church videos that talk about this uh, particular aspect. She's not in those. Then there's they talk about uh, conference talks by President Spencer W. Kimball in which he's talking about the story of King Josiah and Hilda doesn't uh, it doesn't make it. Hilda has been just like uh, Back to the Future erased from existence. <laughs> oh, that's sad. yeah. Poor Hilda. Um, Wow, why why would Hulda be erased from existence? She's just a, a Old Testament prophet. Why is she being conspicuously deleted from Come Follow Me official church videos, a conference talks all over? Hulda is is she's on the outs. Uh, if only she'd been born a boy. Oh no, <laughs> that, that's that's really the only thing that I can think of is that the church doesn't want to uh, give any kind of uh, license to. Uh, the uppity Kate Kelly's of the uh, church that are uh, insisting on, Hey, equal opportunity, uh, you know, ordain women now and stuff. It's, uh, you know, and, and this uh, kind of kind of thing where you read about prophetesses and uh, female prophets in the, in the scriptures, it makes it difficult for the church to argue against it. So, you know, when they take a, a really good uh, faith in uh, promoting story, such as uh, Hulda's, it makes uh, sense to me that the church would, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a yucky thing to do, but it makes sense to me that the church would start referring to it as the prophet said this, the prophet says that, and just leave Hulda out of it because she's uh, a, a she and not a he. So it sounds like you're both are saying that bringing Hulda into this just brings up questions and the church is not really in the business of trying to um, bring up questions for members. Is that yeah. what I'm hearing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. There's a 1984 quote that I love. It's, who controls the past controls the future who controls the present controls the past. So what we see here is they are controlling the narrative because they control the present and to control the future, they have to go and remove these women from power in the past from the narrative in order to maintain their control in the future. Yeah. Makes uh, sense to me. You know, this does remind me of uh, 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 my favorite apostle, Scott, is Elder David Bednar. And that, uh, believe me, I am uh, one of the few. But I can tell you that he did the National Press Club uh, briefing back in May of this year, just a couple of months ago. And he was asked specifically about whether uh, women uh, about women's leadership role in the church, about how whether a woman could be a prophet or the head of the church one day. And his response was, well, we follow the precedent that Jesus had in the Bible, meaning that Jesus only called male apostles. Therefore, since the only way to become president of the church is to be an apostle, um, the only the, the only people who can be the heads of the church are apostles, are, are, are men. But, but that's not even true. There were four named female apostles in the New Testament. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh, you know, I just Googled that. You know, it's, I'm glad we have you on, Scott. Romans 16, 7, if I'm not mistaken. And the only one that I know off the top of my yeah. head, her name was Junia. There were others, but I, I can't remember their names off the top of my head. Well, yeah, that's interesting. Were... Yeah, I Googled it. And the four names are Mariami, Irene, Nino, and Felica. Uh, very interesting. I wasn't aware of that. But I, that, that just brings in with the Hulda. If we're following the example of what's in the Bible, 
Well, there's lots of examples, just like you brought up, Scott, of women in the Bible holding leadership positions or even being prophets. So if that's your – see, if the if the answer to why can't a woman be the president of the church or why can't a woman hold the priesthood is because we prayed about it and God said that he did not want that to happen, okay, then okay, that then that's your answer. I get that. But if you say that, well, it's what's in the Bible, th that doesn't make any sense because there's so many opportunities of, of women in the Bible who hold leadership positions. Yeah, it's it's not internally consistent. So there's not it doesn't have univocality. That's what people typically uh, name or call this. But there's not one consistent narrative throughout all of Scripture. Not even within LDS Scripture. There's not one consistent voice, one consistent story, one consistent narrative. And so you have scriptures, um, you know, tip, uh, typically from Paul in the New Testament that say things like women can't talk in church and, you know, X, Y, and Z, like, you know, women are supposed to be silent. So you have these really um, unhealthy ideas coming from scripture as well. But then you also have really healthy ones. You have stories where there are females in power, there are female apostles, and you have, you have both concepts within the same book of scripture. And like so... A, a bish in the Book of Mormon. Exactly. And so you have... You have both like positive ideas and negative ideas. And it's just, it's just the leaders cherry picking which ones fit their narrative best. It goes to whoever controls the present is going to control the narrative and control the past. Very interesting. Well, um, shout out to Holda. We missed you in this uh, week's come follow me lesson. So um, maybe, maybe she will make an appearance in the future. Now, I, I um, hope so. Cause she really sounds like a, a strong, powerful woman. Yeah, well, we don't want her to be part of the September sixth if she does come. Uh, if she's, you know, that that much. Well, that think about be it. Fair. You have you have the king of the Jews going to this woman to say, "Hey, can you verify that this is really scripture?" I mean, if that doesn't put her in a position of power, I don't know what does. Well, all I can say is, why didn't he go to Charles Anthon for that uh, scripture? That would have been. <laughs> or. Better yet, Holduck just could have given him a magic seer stone, and then he would have known. So yeah, there's, for there's sure. Lot, yeah, why, you know, there's a lot of ways to, to, to suck this out. Or what do they say? Suck the egg, or what is that? I'm sorry. Yeah. A lot of ways to suck this egg. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, let's let's move along. Though. Um, now, this we are going from the sublime here, uh, Scott, and his uh, excellent research to uh, what you're getting from me, which is the ridiculous. And this article was posted. Um, the title of the article is Sex Before Marriage is Banned in the LDS Church, but there's a surprising way around it. Oh, my goodness. This is July 20th, 2022, and this is on News.com by Rebecca Borg. Now, what you see, there's a video associated with this, Al. What do you see in the video that goes along? You know, We're going to get a PG-13 rating here for this episode, but what do you mm -hmm. see in the video here of the a surprising way to get around the prohibition of sex before marriage? Um, so this, uh, this video is about, um, soaking <laughs> the, oh, um, no. oh, good. yeah, the, the loophole to get around it and then to have your jumper humper, uh, help you out with that. So, oh no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. So you have the, this is apparently a BYU dorm room. You have mm -hmm. two people under the covers, which are, um, they're having a mommy and daddy kiss. Then you have somebody who is on top of the bed, jumping up and down next to them. This is I, this is finally I understand what this entire craze is all about about this uh, soaking and all this other stuff. We finally have actual proof. Do you guys think that this is a real thing? Does this actually happen, or is this just sensational uh, stuff that is people trying to get views? 
I know people that engaged in this activity. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Would you please uh, uh, let us know who they are so we can let the Strengthening Church Members Committee... <laughs> if the Strengthening Church Members fair. Committee wants to know more, they can give me a call and I would be happy to have a chat. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad that we never told you our real names then, Scott. Because <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would tell them them. I just want, the, oh. I just want them to call me. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I didn't read about this uh, in the BYU uh, honor code. I, I don't remember the section on um, soaking and this uh, sex before marriage is banned. Uh, it's forbidden in the religion, but it hasn't stopped unwed couples from participating in passionate sensual activity. And apparently this is happening on BYU campus. I don't remember reading about this in the honor code. Maybe I, I didn't read the whole honor code. I just kind of signed it. Well, I, I do know, uh, you know, from my own uh, time at BYU that there was a lot of uh, create, creative creativity um, that was put forward to uh, getting around certain uh, aspects there and uh, certain justifications that were conjured up in the minds in order to say to justify this kind of uh, premarital sexual behavior. Um, you know, if if that's what it takes uh, people to to make themselves feel better about uh, you know being uh, normal, hormonal, sexually curious. Uh, uh, young adult, then hey, have at it, you know. But uh, it, it, it's there's plenty of weirdness out there, and this is some of it. <laughs> yeah, the article says while this is not a widespread activity, it is common in Utah of people in Mormon culture to engage in this activity. And this is from the person who posted the video quote I've never heard anyone in Australia doing something like this, but in Utah, it's a thing that really happens. And I know it because I've seen people say, Yeah, yeah, I've done that. End quote, she said. So, I, you know. I finally understand what this is all about, uh, and I'm kind of sorry that I actually did find out what this is all about. But this is the news. We uh, this is making the rounds, and uh, I guess we need to cover it. I think I'm glad that we covered it, and I, I'm hoping that we don't have to come back to it. Yeah, it's it's what's, certainly news. <laughs> you can cut this if you need to. But what's your guys' rating? Oh, uh, we're, we've never even had a curse word on this podcast. Okay, then I will yeah. not say <laughs> what is going on in my head right now. <laughs> I appreciate that, Scott. <laughs> I just had to double check. I had to double check before I said anything. In oh, my well. personal life, I, I can be um, pretty crass. So, well, yeah. I mean, can you substitute it with a fetch or a hack or, or anything? No, I, perhaps I'll, I'll let you know off the air. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Very well. Um, let's let's move along. This this article. This is all the time that this mm -hmm. article deserves for sure. Yeah, um, and this next article, it's um, this one's kind of a sad one uh, in my estimation. We're going back to over to the Salt Lake Tribune where we have an article from July 18th, and uh, this is about the BYU speech program is going to keep its accreditation despite canceling gender-affirming voice services for transgender clients. So BYU's uh you know, speech therapy program. Um, in other universities, you would find uh, people being able to go to the university and get help, like as they're doing uh, gender transitioning, uh, in order to learn how to speak like a more authentically, like a member of the opposite gender or the gender that they're trying to transit transition to. Uh, BYU won't provide that service, and yet um, they still maintain their accreditation, and so. Uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, accredited universities, I don't know, like m maybe we, maybe we're getting a little bit too crazy in this country, but, um, 
you know, this is also at the same time, do we always have to have everything exactly the same in order to be accredited? Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions that this brings up and, you know, so when it comes to maintaining accreditation, um, yeah, maybe so. I mean, when it comes to BYU, uh, the way that they treat uh, members of the LGBTQ community, it, I, I think there's a big problem with their accreditation that uh, they use a lot of uh, openly uh, hateful speech towards uh, members of the LGBTQ community. Um, so with regards to the speech pathology program or speech therapy, it, it just seems like it's uh, it's not terribly surprising, but it's also kind of leaving me with an icky feeling. Like, okay, you know, you guys really aren't looking to, to help people. Yeah, Al, let me ask you real quick. Um, how, yeah. how is it that they were able to keep their accreditation, even though that they weren't uh, uh, providing what most people consider to be a vital service? Um, how is it that they were able to keep it? Because there was some question. They got a letter in the mail from the accrediting agency saying, hey, we're taking a look at this voice uh, affirming therapy and you could be in the hot seat if you don't if you don't do it. How did they were they able to uh, get around that or, or how are they able to keep that? Uh, the the best I've got is that they uh, said, well, this is you know the standards of the church or that the school stands for, and so when it comes to, we're very open about what where we stand on this. Uh, so you know, and they are they're they're very open with regards to where they stand on the LGBTQ issue. Um, so you know, I I, I don't know uh, if they gave uh, more than that, but they, uh, yeah, uh, it. So far, they're just uh, they're able to hang on to it. I don't know why. Well, how do you feel about this? Were you able to check out the article there, Scott? What do you think about BYU uh, keeping their accreditation and and their uh, behavior, especially towards a, tr- a trans member, uh, trans um, trans students? So again, I don't have very many like hard criticisms where I will take a stance and say, "Hey, this is where the church really, really needs to make a change." And all of their attitudes on the LGBTQ plus community really, really need to change. Whether or not they're going to change their theology around it, that's up to them. But the way that they treat these people has to change. And and I think it's sad that the accreditation department isn't going to do anything about this. But honestly, they they just need to treat other human beings as if they were human beings. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, especially when it comes to like, you know, if you're providing a service for people, I mean, it's one, you know, well, uh, the service is kind of a universal service. Like, uh, it's not just about kids that have a hard time saying their R's or get tongue-tied that uh, need help learning how to speak or get rid of a stutter. But this is uh, a service that... Um, it's another aspect of speech therapy and uh, going forward in this uh, world that we live in, in the 21st century, you're going to have to be able to help people of the LGBTQ uh, community learn to speak uh, in a way that's more affirming of their, uh, of the gender that they're uh, being reassigned to. Yeah. I mean, they managed to get through this one, but this is not going to be the last that we're going to hear about BYU and their accreditation. Some of these accrediting bodies, BYU is accredited by multiple different organizations, by multiple different uh, levels of uh, everything from regional accreditation to departmental accreditation. It's only a matter of time until the, especially the LGBTQ issues are going to catch up with BYU and individual departments. Even within the next year or two, you will see 
This is I, I'm going out on a limb here. You're going to see individual departments lose accreditation based upon LGBTQ issues, and that's going to lead to um, serious issues for BYU. Because if you're a student who's in one of these, uh, uh, if you're a student in one of these particular colleges or departments, and you lose accreditation, that that means that your degree from BYU for your particular what you want to go into your field of study, it's worthless. It is worth nothing. You can't go to graduate school. You can't be certified to do whatever job it is that you wanted to do. It, it, it just turns your degree into a laughing stock. So they managed to escape uh, this time on the accreditation issues, but it is going to keep coming. These, these, these issues are not going to stop until the church changes their position and starts letting, uh, you know, starts uh, doing these, these type of things that they really should be doing. And it really seems that uh, this is the very hill that BYU is in insisting on dying on yeah Yeah. if you think back to uh bob jones university um bob jones university refused to let people have interracial uh interracial dating and they eventually lost their tax-exempt status uh it was eventually restored but because they had an interracial dating ban they lost their accreditation could that same sort of thing happen to byu over lgbtq issues um i would not be surprised at all if something like that did happen, if they lost their accreditation or they lost any um, of their tax exempt status, because the pressure is going to mount on these issues, they're not going to get away. The voices are going to get louder on this. I could see things happening specifically in like a sociology department or a psychology department where these sort of these sort of issues, the world at large has a dramatically different stance on it than the church does. And so if there's going to be a push anywhere, I think most likely we're going to see it in those two departments. Yeah. So social sciences in particular. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll keep our eye on this one. This this is not going to go away. Now, BYU just passed through their um, their regional accreditation. You get regionally accredited. I, I taught at BYU for a number of years. You get regionally accredited at BYU. I want to say it's every six or seven years. BYU just passed through its big regional accreditation, which is the big one that matters. So they're not going to come up for it again for another six or seven years unless something were to significantly happen. So, I, But all these departmental accreditations, those are much more frequent than every seven years. So I guess we'll find out and see what happens. It's gonna, it's gonna come to a tipping point. It's going to come to a head at some point in the future, and the church is going to either need to choose their particular philosophy of LGBTQ, uh, of what they think is, they're gonna have to choose between LGBTQ and accreditation. It's just gonna come down to that sometime in the near future. That's that's what I think is gonna happen. I completely agree. Okay, uh, we got two more articles left to go through. And Scott, you got both of them. <laughs> yeah, we can burn through them. So the first one is uh, from uh, Front Frontier Desk. Frontier, I may be misreading that. Uh, Frontera Desk? Oh, uh, Fr- uh, Frontera. Yeah. yeah, sorry. It was uh, really small on my monitor. Um, so this one, it was talking about, so the, the title of the article is Why Netflix and Hulu Are Infatuated with Shows About Mormons. And it's um, it's an audio clip. So if you, if you go to the link in the show notes, you'll have to listen to it. But it, uh, they were discussing a number of different things, but specifically they were talking about the fact that um, the one of the reasons why there are so many new shows and documentaries coming out around the Mormon church is because there are so many new platforms and publishing on these platforms for is a lot easier. So if one service denies you, you could go to a different service. And so there's the, the bar for entry 
into making and publishing a show is um, a lot easier than it used to be in the past. So that's a contributing factor in this. Another part of it is that there's a general decline in religiosity within America. And the the shows that are coming out reflect that. And so there, there are documentaries, yes, on on the LDS church and the FLDS church, but you have tons of other documentaries coming out focusing on other different churches and other different cults. You have Netflix put out both Wild Wild Country and they put out um, Unorthodox and a variety of other documentaries about people leaving religions or about different cults and cult leaders and such. And so there's, so the, the infatuation isn't, isn't specifically with Mormonism. I think Mormonism or the LDS church kind of fits into that niche very nicely, but it's, it's the country's kind of infatuated with this idea of religious deconstruction. And you see Mm -hmm. that with a lot of the shows and the themes in the shows that are coming out. Yeah. We're certainly seeing a lot of uh, things with regards to like uh, Leah Ramini. She's got a whole series about Scientology. Um, And I think her first one was going clear that uh, with her expose and then uh, yeah, you're, you're right. That wild, wild country. That one's an interesting wild, right? Yeah. Uh, that one is right here in my neck of the woods. It's just south of me it? a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that one's definitely worth the watch. There's uh, let's see with regards to Mormonism. Let's We've see. Had, they, uh, murder yeah. of the Mormons. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mark Hoffman, Mormons. We've had so, under the banner of heaven. Uh, abducted in plain sight was another really uh, wild ride too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took place up in Pocatello about a young uh, girl that was kidnapped twice by the same member of their ward. Uh, yeah, so that one, if you uh, haven't seen it, you need to. I mean, that one was pretty big a little over a year ago. But if you haven't seen, or I guess maybe it's been two years now, but it was that's a wild ride. If you haven't seen abducted in plain sight, you need to see it. We yeah. also had uh, uh, Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had Mormon, Mormon, No More. Yeah. Uh, the Under uh, the Banner of Heaven came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, so basically, uh, what, I, what, what I'm hearing you say, Scott, is so as people, especially uh, throughout the world, but in particular in the United States, as people lose religiosity, and that's been a downward trend for quite some time, watching quote-unquote strange shows about religion becomes more entertaining and a little bit more bizarre. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I think, I mean, I think it's kind of the story of, of our, at least, you know, these, the generation that's, that are living right now in America. It's the, we are experiencing a disillusionment with so many different systems in our lives. And a lot of the media that we consume, both documentaries and shows reflect that. I mean, if you, if you stop to think about a lot of the shows that are out today, most of them have to do with a disillusionment of some sort of organization or society or culture. This is what's happening in the milieu of our country right now, and we are fascinated by it. So it's not just religion. It's, it's, it's systems of government in general. Yeah, systems of power and looking at them objectively to see how they're harming people and empowering other people. So Mormonism could be considered a system of power in that respect. Sorry, I was muted. Oh, most definitely. It's it's a system of power that, that uh, I mean, it does harm men as well, but it does put men typically over women and empowers them over women within the system. 
Yeah, I mean, so I mean, the the faith in our government really started to decline back in, uh, you know, the Watergate timeframe, and uh, trust in government is at an all-time low. You know, Donald Trump did uh, everyone absolutely no favors in when it comes to uh, trusting our government and uh, uh, believing our uh, leaders in, you know, about what they say and telling the truth, quite frankly. And so, you know, the, also Donald Trump made reality TV. He he was reality TV. He made that even more popular than ever. Reality TV in general is getting more and more popular. So when you combine all those factors together, along with, uh, you know, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it just makes for good TV. And the reason people are in fact, you know, the reason that they keep making these shows is because they keep getting ratings. If they, if people didn't watch yeah. them, they wouldn't make them. <laughs> you know? Well, it, it's one yeah. of those things where people, even with shows that have nothing to do with, with religion or, or with government, you know, you take a show like star Wars, most people would, would put themselves in the place of the rebels fighting the big organization, trying to do good in the world. They don't see themselves as the empire, but but when you look at the organizations that we belong to, it it quickly becomes apparent that the majority of them are more akin to the Empire than to the rebels. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's, yeah. it's in it... every form of literature. It's in every form of I mean, yeah. that's that's the stories that we're telling right now. Yeah. Why does everything in the church come back to Star Wars? It always does. I don't, I don't know why it does. <laughs> oh, I could have picked anything. I just that's just popped into my head. <laughs> I, I, I'm really curious on that same note uh, <clears throat> where and I, I haven't I really should have uh, probably looked this up before bringing it up. But like the church uh, produced movies like uh, 17 Miracles or uh, even uh, Joseph Smith, Prophet of the Restoration. Um, let's see, there's another one out there with uh, Emma Smith in my, in her own words or in my own words or something like that. Um, I wonder how these ones uh, uh, stack up compared to some of these other shows, uh, because those ones are definitely church promotional uh, movies. But, um, you know, with regards to these ones, they're not necessarily church promotional as they are um, just kind of exposés or, uh, you know, even uh, maybe church critical. So I, I'm curious if the the Mormon moment is this a strictly a critical Mormon moment, or is this a an, is there an interest in uh, the church's side of things and uh, you know finding out about the church uh, through its own released uh, materials as well? Well, if we examine shows such as Under the Banner of Heaven, I think they did a great job of presenting multiple facets of practicing the Mormon faith. And they showed the good and the bad, both as a believer and as a non-believer. And so I think, I think that the way it's treated in the mainstream media is is a a fair representation. It's caricaturized a little bit, and it's not exactly realistic, but it's a fair representation. Where what you have the church producing is not a fair representation because it is only going to show the good. It is going to ignore the bad. And so just by its nature, it's not going to be a realistic representation of reality. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think also it's the fact that because of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and other Mormon-related entities are, are somewhat more secretive than many other religions, you know, uh, there's not necessarily anything super secret in uh, just a, a Garden Variety Baptist church. You can generally read exactly what they believe, and, and there's no second or esoteric 
uh, level of knowledge that can be unlocked. Some of these, I think that Mormonism in particular is, is subject to these types of exposés because it is somewhat of a secret religion and because there are things that are sacred or secret, however we want to frame it, people want to find what those things are. And you're not going to get those secret answers from members of the church themselves. So people want to find it and they think that maybe some of these shows can help them find the answers. Yeah, exactly. Certainly easier to uh, watch one of these shows than go through all the, you know, missionary discussions, process baptism, pay all the tithing, then get through the temple to, to find it that way. That's that's uh, definitely the hard way to do it. Yeah, but I think we should start with tithing first. Tithing's very important now. <laughs> yeah, it seems would, like it seems like they do want you to start paying tithing before you get baptized. I think I think that the first discussion should start off with tithing. Let's just get this ball rolling right off the bat. That's if I were in charge. I guess that's why I'm not in charge, by the way. Um, okay, so our last article here, Scott, uh, is uh, I thought it would be right up your alley. I hope it was. I found this article, and I thought, based upon what I've listened to your last podcast, that you would find it interesting. I hope that you did. Can you can you tell us yeah. what you found? Yeah, it was an interesting um, discussion. So this was from um, the website um, Medium, or, or, is, or is this just this guy's blog? johnogden.medium.com okay so so john ogden has has this uh this post that he put out is mormonism sustainable for today's kids and he goes through he talks about a little bit of his religious deconstruction and he tells a story of relating joseph smith um, translating with the rock and a hat to his child and his son seemed to be i'm pretty sure it was his son regardless his yeah, son, son. Se- his son seems to accept it without question. And um, it, it made John stop and think. And um, the word that his son said when, when related to the story was, Oh, that's cool. That's interesting. And so John is, John is looking at this and trying to say, how is it possible that this same information rocked my world, but didn't rock my son's world? Pardon the pun. Yeah. (laughs) And so, so he goes through and he's he's kind of breaking down um, religious organizations and and the question that he's at that he's asking kind of at its center through all of this is is there a space for a religious community that would be welcoming for non-religious people and so so he's kind of he's postulating like is there a community or a way that you could practice a faith that you would incorporate non-believers into the practice of the faith, almost more like a cultural phenomena rather than like a religious one. And I, I think it was a, a fascinating question. It's a space that I exist in. Um, I, I don't talk about religion to my family or my kids. Like my, I mean, I'll talk science and things like that to my children, the things that I find interesting, like the James Webb telescope. That's been something that we've been talking about as a family. Make sure um, you tell them my joke, uh, Scott, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll tell my my seven-year-old and nine-year-old your masturbation okay. joke. <laughs> you got to get them prepared for when they're 12. Those yeah. questions will come up. So I'm sorry to derail you. I just No, no, you're fine. Keep but going, though. The, uh, it's, it's an interesting dynamic to, um, to love and live with someone who believes in the church, albeit in a nuanced way. Um, and then raising children together, it's it's – very tricky, but it's also really healing when I think had we both left the church or had we both stayed, our view on raising kids would have been very binary. Like 
they have to follow us. They have to grow up and be Mormon. They have to do X, Y, and Z to have a good life. Or had we both left, I think part of the same mentality would have existed. You know, we, we both left, have left the church and we both want our kids to leave the church with us and to, you know, eschew all belief of God and, and become atheists. Like I can see that sort of a, of a binary mode of thinking entering yeah. our world. But since my wife and I hold different worldviews, we've come to this space where we're, we're okay no matter what they choose. If they choose to stay in, if they choose to stay out, the most important thing for us is that they treat other human beings with dignity, especially those who hold different ideas than them. And and that is like the core teaching that we're trying to incorporate. That's totally a side note. What what John is talking about here is is one of the things that is lacking within the um non non-believer or atheist community is community. There's not a lot of, there's not a community for people that don't believe in the way that there is for believers. And I, I still attend some functions. I don't go to church with my wife, but if there's ever a service opportunity, if there's ever some sort of activity that I feel like it would be valuable to the community, I'll go with her. We went to, we went to, um, like a food packing place. And we made these meal kits for people and it was all members of the church there. And then me, this one apostate kind of sitting there helping out too. And so I, I feel like, I feel like there is potential for that, but I, I don't know what that looks like. And that's kind of, that's kind of the point that John Ogden seemed to be making as well. Yeah. There, there's just not uh, what an organization in place to, uh, to bring, non-believers together the way that uh, you'll find within like an organized religion and exactly I've, yeah i've heard a lot of uh, people that have left uh, different churches and uh you know become atheists say well that's what the big thing that they really miss is that sense of community the the sense you know a place where you can get together once a week and just you know chat with people and you know hang out with uh, your neighbors and friends and and meet people too i mean it's a church uh there's a, a lot of different aspects besides what the uh, the tenets of the religion are. There's uh, there's a oh, lot yeah. of things that are, are are very beneficial from having a church to go to that you just can't find really any other way. Well, on the inside, people typically say the church is perfect, but the members need work. But mm-hmm. on the outside, I look at it, and I'm like, no, the church needs work, mm-hmm. but the members are great. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So are you saying that the uh, Reddit ex-Mormon subreddit, that's that's not enough? Is that what you're trying to tell me, Scott? I I, I struggle with the ex-Mormon Reddit, and maybe this will get me in trouble. But I think there's a lot of vitriol in a lot of the discourse, and I don't know. And, and that just doesn't, it doesn't mesh with me very well. I like mm-hmm. to be kind and allow space for someone to have a different idea than me. And mm-hmm. I think there's a space for anger. There's a space for being frustrated. And, and I went through that mm-hmm. as well, but yeah. I found myself not moving on and not healing from my trauma, from the religion, the longer I was angrier. And so I kind of had to put that aside. And as I kept browsing the ex-Mormon Reddit, it just kept bringing out those angry feelings. And I just didn't want those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, just before we wrap it up, you didn't answer the question. The question that was posed in the article is, is Mormonism sustainable for today's kids? So is it? I 
as it currently is, I think it still needs work. Uh, my wife and I, some of the things that we have discussed is we're going to teach them, our children, some different things on certain subjects. They're not going to be alone with any church leader in any capacity. And there's certain doctrines that we're just not going to focus on. We're just not going to teach them or my wife is not going to teach them just because they don't mesh with the way that we look at the world. Are you talking about polygamy and LGBTQ? <laughs> Those are definitely part of what uh, some of the, the differences that we have. Well, uh, that, that, may be, that might be private too. So Yeah. Well, yeah uh, and I, I like your stance, Scott. You've got a very mature way of looking at that. And I think it's very responsible to uh, acknowledge that, yeah, uh, church leaders are not uh, vetted. There, there's no background check. You have no idea what these people are like behind closed doors for sure. Yeah. Well, part of it is, is my wife isn't here to, to say her side of things. And so I, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying, here's what we're going to teach. Here's what we're not going to yeah. teach without mm -hmm. her presence. So. For sure. Well, one reason that I pointed you to that article is if you actually go to the base page of John Ogden's uh, uh, blog post, he runs a post. He runs a, a website that's called upliftkids.org. We're actually going to have him on the podcast in two weeks. So if you go to upliftkids.org, the idea behind that website, Scott, I thought you might find that appealing because it has family home evenings or secular, uh, a secular family home evenings. It's a flexible approach for kids. Um, that basically talks about good morals, how we approach life, and uh, things along those the, along those lines. That is exactly like an LDS family uh, home evening, except for that it's secular. That's one reason that I, I I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to uh, meddle in your life as much as I possibly can. Scott. So, <laughs> now that seems similar to the was it Lighthouse? Is that the other organization that's that does this sort of thing? Oh, gee, I don't know. I'm trying to. I, I, I think that's right. Yeah, it sounds sounds right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, there, there are other organizations that do this as well, and they incorporate kind of Buddhist yeah. or you know some of mm -hmm. the more secular ideas of other religions, and they yeah. kind of they they try and teach like a, a meditative um, approach to living life. Yeah, exactly. Well, we we appreciate your mature approach. No one has ever accused me of having a mature approach. See, that's the big difference between the two of us. So we, <laughs> okay, well, I'm. I am definitely not mature in my personal life, but I try my hardest to keep my, the ideas in my head um, level. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. So that wraps it up for the articles. Now we are, we do have a, uh, we're going to close it up with our last segment here, which is the Mormon news roundup poll of the week. Now this is available. Uh, our, our podcast is uh, we're on YouTube. Come, come, come and drop us a like a subscription on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're also on uh, Apple uh, podcasts, but we're on Spotify. We're on Castbox. We're on a lot of different platforms, Twitter. Um, if you find us on Spotify though, we include this poll that you'll be able to interact with. It's based on uh, today's episode. So, um, Al, uh, uh, Scott, we're, we're going to have you take this poll based upon today's episode, Scott. So you're going to be our first guinea pig. All right. Okay? So, um, uh, Al, will you read us the question that goes along with today's uh, with the poll that you will find that goes along with this episode? Yeah, will do. The poll this week is how do you feel about this week's Strengthening Church Members Committee leak? Okay, uh, Al, will you read us number one? And, and Scott, we're going to have you read all the uh, – we're going to give you all the seven answers, and then we need you to answer it according to your own conscience, okay? Okay, I'm option one. You. Yeah. Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. Well, what's that from? That, I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> what is that from? Uh, Pink Floyd. Pink, yeah, Pink Floyd. That's right. It's from Pink Floyd. Yeah, okay. From the wall. Or, or uh, Scott, is it number two? Go ahead, Al. Uh, is it inspired with great power comes great tax deductible general authority compensation packages? 
I think that's the saying. I'm not. That saying sounds familiar. I, as you've noticed on this podcast, I sometimes get my sayings a little bit mixed up. Well, every uh, every multiverse has its own version of that saying. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I may, I may have the wrong multiverse there. Yeah. With great power comes great tax deductible general authority compensation packages. Or is it number three? Somewhat conflicted. There's a fine line between inspired ministering and deliberate systemic covert surveillance. Yeah, it is a fine line. You know, the bishop has us all minister to one another, but where does it cross over into deliberate systematic covert surveillance? It's a fine line, isn't it? Yeah. Or is it number four? Outraged. Clearly, Susan Bednar should have warned us about this years ago. That's right. I mean, where is Susan Bednar when you need her? Everybody blames the top leadership of the church, but what they don't do is they don't blame the wives. And see, that's what I'm going to change from this podcast. Susan Bednar should have warned us about this long ago. Or is it number five? Number five, no problem. I testify with every fiber of my being how comforting it is to know that Big Brother's always got my back. That is a nice comfort to know that, you know, when someone's looking out for you and strengthening, it is called the Strengthening Church Members Committee, after all. When somebody's watching out for you, has your back and is strengthening you, that could be a great comfort. I, I know it can be to some of our listeners. Or is it number six? Number six. Not really sure, but this all started when Emma Smith started poking her nose around where it didn't belong. <laughs> you know, that, that there's something to be said for that. I think we would be in a lot different place if Emma Smith had just, you know, done what she was told to do she and not poking her nose around in different places where it didn't belong i think mm-hmm. this church would be a far different place or is it the number seven which is perhaps the most controversial it reminds me of that beloved primary song joining a cult is fun to do fun to do i'm just kidding about that by the way. Still, um, maybe that's you know i have a problem with uh remembering previous things that i've memorized you guys might have uh, forgotten that by now my memory is somewhat scrambled so if these don't come out exactly right you just blame my bad memory uh so uh, so scott how do you feel about this week's strengthening church members committee leak which one do you want to select I'd, I'd probably go with three somewhat conflicted i think that because you re- you related it to ministering and mm-hmm. I think I think ministering as a concept is really good. Taking care of your neighbors and your society. The problem I have is the motive for it. The motive for the Strengthening Church Members Committee seems to be to protect the institution, but not to protect the people. If it were focused on the people, rather than presenting this information to the stake president saying, hey, excommunicate this guy, it would say something along the lines of, hey, one of the members of your flock doesn't seem to be a believer anymore. Can we talk to them? Can we find out what's going on? Can we help them? Like you wouldn't have excommunications if the motive were to take care of the flock. You would have, you know, it, it would look much different. It would look much different than it actually does. Yeah. So since the motive is to protect the church and the church's good name and and its narrative, uh, you know, XYZ, insert whatever motive you want to put in there. Because we don't really know everything about them. But um, it seems to be that their motive is to take care of themselves and not the members. And I feel like there wouldn't be a problem with it if the motive were to help people. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm just joking around about most of these answers. By oh, the way, oh, I know. I these know. are. <laughs> the, I try to make these as most uh, silly and ridiculous as I can. So I hope nobody takes too much offense. I'm just joking around with most of these. We also have on Spotify. There's an open-ended question as well, uh, where you can interact with us, and uh, we have a discussion underneath the podcast. And our question of the week is: How do you feel about the first potentially legitimate photo of Joseph Smith that surfaced this week? So you can get in contact with us there. There, uh, take our polls, take our questions on Spotify. Also on Anchor, you can send us an actual voicemail if you uh, f- uh go to anchor.com find the podcast you can record your voice and send it to us and hey as long as it doesn't have too much profanity we might even be able to play it on ear you yeah. know, final final last notes here we are on patreon as well if you enjoy these uh, episodes head on over to patreon we have a couple of different tier levels you can unlock some bonus content um some uh interviews from the hosts also some behind the scenes uh, content and some additional articles and on lots of fun stuff there's a couple of different levels there um that you can unlock now for next week guys before we let everybody go next week this is another exciting episode we have devry anderson on the program next week and he is the marketing manager over at signature books and he's also a very famous author who's written a number of different books perhaps his most famous is on emmett till but he's also written books uh in mormonism on uh, various church leaders and also the definitive work on the lds temple endowment ceremony chronicling every change that has ever taken place all the way back from Washington anointings in Kirtland to the modern day. So he's going to be a fabulous guest. Um, we, uh, I just want to remind our listeners of one last thing, and that's that uh, Steve Pinek and I are also launching Mormon movie reviews. We're going to be releasing our first episode maybe later today. Uh, it's on YouTube, so just search for Mormon movie reviews on our launch, and we're going to be reviewing some of those old Mormon classics. Uh, is there anything that I've uh, failed to uh, mention or any last thoughts from anybody, or, or have we ruminated enough on the Great and Spacious Beehive? Um, I just want to reach out <clears throat> one last time to Scott and say uh, thank you very much for joining us this week. You've offered an excellent perspective and uh, really uh, given us a lot of uh, good insight as to uh, these articles that we go over. So thank you for joining us. All right. Hey, thank you for having me. This has been a blast. All right. And uh, yeah, I think we will go ahead and uh, queue up our uh, outro music. We'll have uh, Weird Alma. Uh, lead us out with the, is uh, hit from Straight Outta Titles with Straight Outta in the title, uh, Sympathy for Satan. <laughs> we love that one. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself I'm a being with no moral constraints My number one goal is to hurt The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints